Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen, we're, uh, we're uh, doing a new talk today. Uh, news, we kind of ended the series. I'm going to do a talk today about something really important to me. But here's the question today I want you to ask. Uh, seeing these little ones kind of reminding me. I want you to think about the first team you were ever on. It could have been a sports team. could have been a music. could have been a team. The first team you remember being on. Tell somebody around you about it. Now, tell them. Go. Out loud. All right. So what's the earliest team you remember being on? What's the earliest? What? Oh, church choir as a little as in elementary school. That's cool. That's good. All right. Anybody else? What was it? T-ball. T-ball. Yeah. Okay. Now, been, been there recently. Been there actually. Yeah, the grandkids. All right. All right. Anybody else remember one? So what was that? Oh, soccer. Soccer. All right. Mostly sports so far. Okay. But the choir is good. Okay. Anybody else? Basketball, uh, what, how, what age? Nine. Nine, okay, okay. Anybody? Foot, football, Foot, at what, like what age? Yeah, about nine, okay, okay. So here's the deal. I remember. I remember the first team. The first time I remember anyway was baseball. And the, what's not what's not unusual is baseball. Every little kid, just lots of young boys anyway, play baseball. Here's what's interesting. I recently saw a picture of it and it triggered something. I remember, this is how old I am. The uniform was made out of flannel. You know what I'm talking about? Like pajamas, like flannel, like before they had double knit, man-made, synthetic, whatever, right? Yeah, flannel. I remember that for some reason. I remember I loved my uniform because it was so soft. Anyway, anyway, it wasn't a tough team. It was, it was a comfortable team. Anyway, so, uh, so here's the deal. We play on teams our whole lives, or at least uh, many of us do, and uh, <clears throat> play on all kinds of teams. And, uh, and, and what we don't realize maybe is how important teams are. The truth is we all need to be on a team. We, we maybe on a lot of teams, maybe a work team, maybe on a coaching team, maybe all kinds of teams. We're all on all kinds of teams, but there is a team that is super important. And, and it's, our, it's our spiritual life team. It's our character development team. It's the most important team because we were created to live in community, to be on a team. You do better in life to being on a team. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but not just any team, uh, specifically this team. Uh, so but let me start with this. Um, my uh, grandson, Ezra, who was eight, is the boy I wish I uh, had and never had. Uh, <laughs> my son, Cody... Uh, could give a flying rip about sports. I was kind of a jock growing up. I played everything all the time. And, and my, Cody just, he, yeah, that's a ball. Great. And that's kind of how he was. But Ezra is a man after my own heart. That kid, man, he knows the stats. He knows the batting averages. He knows the ERA. He knows the three points. He, he, knows, he knows the quarterback. He knows all that stuff. So every time, and between him and my wife and me, we have lots of sports conversations going on because she's a big football fan. So this week, the big conversation was, he comes over to the house, he goes, okay, Papa, your all-time 
uh, starting five for basketball. All-time starting five. And so, and which is kind of fun because I get to introduce him to people like Hakeem Olajuwon. You'd never heard of, heard of him. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Some people that, you know, way before his time. And really? Oh, I got to go look up a video and he'll find Oh, okay. And he'll look at him. And so I, I named my first five. And he kind of challenged me on a few. And, and then he named his five. And I kind of pushed back on a couple of them. And then he said, okay, now, now the, you know, on your bench, who are you going to have on the bench? I'm like, we're doing this. Okay, here we go. And uh, so I named who I would have on the bench, all the players and so on. And uh, in case you're wondering, of course, I had Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player ever lived. Sorry, but it's true. Anyway, so I can't even get a rise out of you people. We had no Lakers fans in the house. What's the deal? <laughs> it's just obvious is what it is. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, so, we, uh, so we did a second five, whatever. And so, but then, and then he said, but do you ever hear of the dream team? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of can't know about the dream team. Yeah, and they were there. And I said, no, no, I know. But yeah, but okay, tell me about it. So anyway, so we're talking about the dream team. And so then I tried to explain to them that if you put the starting five that you put together and the starting five I put together, it wouldn't work because you'd need three basketballs. For those of you who don't know sports, you need to learn sports. You're not going to learn the gospel until you understand. Because what makes those players great is they want the ball all the time. And what makes it really hard to build a team of superstars is they all want the ball all the time. If you doubt that, just look what happened with the Brooklyn Nets this week. We don't have any sports fans in the room because that was funny. That was, was that funny? That was funny. All right, good. So anyway, so I'm trying to tell them that building a great team isn't just always having the great talent. It's having the right players on the team at the right time. Does that make sense? This is going somewhere, I promise, but you're going to have to go with me, okay? God created us to play on a team. The problem is teams don't fall in your lap. They don't just happen. Well, some teams do. Good teams don't just happen. Good teams are put together intentionally. And here's the basic, I'm going to start with, we need teams, we were built to have teams. We were created by a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We were created for relationship, not just with God, but with each other. And I'll just say this, you will never reach your full potential if you're just doing it by yourself. You say, well, I got me and God. Well, guess what? God created you to need you and God and God's people. All right? So I'm going to kind of go through that. That's kind of the premise. Let's, let's walk through this a little bit. There's just one passage. I've got tons of passages. I won't read all of them. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving them. So spur one another on. You're not going to get there by yourself. There will be days you want to stay in bed. You want to pull the covers over your head. You don't want to keep moving forward in your spiritual development. We need each other. That's why we need to keep meeting together and encouraging each other. So, uh, and someone have to do it, but encourage one another. So, and Malcolm Gladwell says, in a book a number of years ago, he said, uh, most of us have about 150 acquaintances. People, we kind of know their name. They know our na- ours, but not close. He says, you might, you might have 10 or 15 friends. He said, you might. And if, if we have that few number of people on our team, um, doesn't it behoove us to be careful who's on our team? To choose wisely? And he defined the 10 or 15 people, the kind of inside circle by... If you got a call one day and found out that they had died, you'd be devastated, right? Or if you died, they would come to your funeral and not just be um, kind of spectators, but actively mourn your death. And if you think about that, it's not really that many people, to be honest. I've done a lot of funerals. 
And most people are there just kind of honor the family and do the nice thing. But most people are not deeply, deeply moved, right? We have a fairly limited amount of people who can really be on our team. We need to be intentional about having a team and about who's on that team and, and growing that relationship. And that's kind of my point today. We all play better on a team. Be careful who's on your team and be intentional about it. So um, the problem with, with building a team is it takes time and energy. And most of us are so either task-oriented or so busy that we, that kind of gets on the back burner. It's one of those very important but not urgent things, Right? And yet it, it is counterintuitive to the society we live in for a couple of reasons, all right? One is we live in a Western culture in which everything revolves around the individual. We, we, we grow up, we choose our major, we choose our job, we move away from family, we choose our spouse. Everything is based on the individual. Our spirituality is just me and God. That's all that's required. But if you had grown up in, say, a different environment, not maybe a Western culture, but in another environment, they're much more aware of community. Um, who you marry is almost a family decision. In some cases, it's a parent's decision. Uh, choosing to follow, like the scripture says, Cornelius and his entire family uh, believed. What is that about? It's, it's a community. They moved as a family into faith. We think so individualistically, we don't really understand how much of our growth and how much of our destiny is determined by who we're moving with. We don't think about group. But the Bible talks a lot about group. As a matter of fact, Jesus invited the disciples in his team. He said, come follow me. He didn't say, come learn what I'm going to teach you. Come have an intellectual understanding of my precepts. Come uh, understand the rules for living. He said, no, come follow me. Let's be on the same team. And on that team, you don't find Jesus having one-on-one conversations with people. He said, well, what about Peter? When he was restoring Peter, if you, love, if you love me, feed my sheep. He was saying that to Peter, but the entire group was there. So we have this Western, even my faith is very, it's me, I don't really share, it's a private thing, but it wasn't for Jesus. His team was not, it was not a private thing. It was a group thing because it's in the group that we learn and become and grow. And it's ordained that way and we, we have to learn that. So that's part of it. But the other counterintuitive thing for us in this team thing is that we're just so busy. We're so task-oriented. We got to get things done. We got to get there. We got to do this. Blah, blah, blah. And, and the problem is, I wonder if Jesus chose to come uh, to earth uh, before cars because he wanted to walk with the guys a lot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they had cars, they trains, planes, they've just been zipping around all over the place. They walked. They kind of just walked. Kind of just walked. Right? I, uh, my wife uh, was from Oklahoma when we met. She's still from Oklahoma, but she doesn't have the accent anymore. And when I met my wife, she just had the cutest accent. Just the cutest accent. And uh, then I moved her to Chicago and she lost that. But anyway, um, and so one time I went to visit her home church. It was a church she'd grown up in, her family had been a part of for a long time. And, uh, and um, after church, they got up and they were getting ready to dismiss. They said, and, and by the way, y'all, uh, you guys are going to have a, a langer longer afterwards. And I looked at her and she goes, yeah, a langer longer. What do you do to linger longer? <laughs> well, we have Coca-Cola cake and punch. That's a real thing, by the way, Coca-Cola cake. Anybody ever had Coca-Cola cake? 
Yeah, yeah, they have it at like, uh, what's that one restaurant, the southern restaurant? Yeah, yeah, that one, the Cracker Barrel. Anyway, and I'm like, okay. And uh, to this day, I just can't believe somebody said that publicly. A linger longer. How you guys are going to have a linger longer? That's just embarrassing. It just, <laughs> you might as well just pull out a couple of teeth, take your shoes off. And Anyway, um, <laughs> she's wearing shoes now. Regretting ever teaching her that because it costs me. She likes nice shoes. Anyway, are we offended yet? I'm, I'm trying to get there. She's not in the room, in case you're wondering. I know you won't tell her, so we'll just keep it between us. A linger longer is staying afterwards for fellowship. And I realized that part of the dynamic of this church, and it still exists today, is the, not just the coming and the singing and the teaching. It is the fellowship. It is the being together. It is the being on each other's teams. Why do you think we're building all these spaces around here? To get you guys to linger longer? <laughs> we're going to start serving Coca-Cola cake next. You watch. It takes time. That's the problem. It takes time. And we're in such a hurry to get somewhere. But if we, if we decided to reprioritize our lives... And making, becoming like Jesus the priority, not climbing the corporate ladder, affording the second home, whatever it might be. What if becoming like Jesus was a priority? And then we begin to realize that becoming like Jesus in part requires me to linger with Jesus' people and learn from them and contribute to them. Would it change the way I live my life and I schedule my time? I think it would. I think it's an important thing is to look in to your schedule and put in there first the God stuff and the relational stuff before you put in all the other stuff. The other stuff is more measurable and it's easier to put in there. I get that, but it may not be more important. And so one of the things we need to realize is that your team will determine your destiny. You cannot arrive where God wants you to be and where you ultimately want to be without other people. You just can't do it. Let me give you an example. Um, you ever heard the phrase, I got your back? It's in the movies all the time, I got your back. And, 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 and usually it's about, you know, I'll help protect you and nobody comes up behind you. But I was thinking about this the other day. It's great to have people who protect us and, and, and help guard and keep us safe. But we also need people who look at what's on our back. Right, everybody, everybody oh, you got a spider. You, that's getting your back too, right? You can't achieve your full potential unless people are pointing out your blind spots. And you won't allow most people to point out your blind spots because you don't trust them enough. Because you live with a mindset, a relational mindset, not of love, but of competition and of self-protection and projection. That's what the whole internet thing's about. Oh, look at me. I look great on vacation. I, right? But what if we understood relationship as being the vehicle that God will use to help us move beyond our blind spots to find healing and wholeness for our brokenness and become more like Jesus? But we've got to be trusting enough in what God teaches us and the team that we put around us in order to let them point out our blind spots. See, I'm not talking about just friendships. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about people who can get in your kitchen when they need to because you trust them that much or people who can pick you up when you're... You know, it's an interesting thing. So, so a couple things. So you think, well, okay, I don't know. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, went to pray in the garden, Right? And the disciples fall asleep. And he says, can't you even stay awake with me? 
He wasn't rebuking them for their lack of self-discipline. He was saying, I need my team right now. I need my team around me right now. That's what he was saying to them. You see, just before that, they'd been at dinner, and, and a woman comes and anoints his feet with oil. She was on his team. And she, of all the people that follow him, all the people around him, she alone realized, she had the sensitivity and, and the giftedness to realize that there's something going on with Jesus. That's why she anointed his feet. Everybody else is going, don't do that, don't waste it. And she's going, no, no, there's something happening here. And because she was on his team, she was allowed to do that. See, we need the kinds of people around us that feel when things aren't working, or at least will be sensitive enough to ask. We need that kind of team. You can't get there by yourself. We need people on our team. We need to be intentional. In my life, I've had, when I was 30 years old, we were just starting the church, and I looked at my brothers, and my brothers had some long-term friends. My dad was a pastor. We moved about every five to seven years. And so I was uh, an army brats, same kind of thing. You know how to make friends quick, but they don't go very deep because you're going to be moving, right? And I realized about myself that I had a lot of acquaintances that just short-term acquaintances, and I didn't have a single friend from when I was young, not a single one. I didn't have a single one from when I was in high school. And I realized that I was at a deficit. I didn't really have a team outside of my wife and my family. I didn't have a team. And I realized that if I was going to become who God wanted me, if not only just stay on track for Pete's sakes, much less accomplish anything in the positive, I was going to need a team. And I set out from that time forward to build teams. People come and people go. They may not be on my team anymore. I guess I have a new team member to build teams who help me. And I've said to our, our elders, I've said, if I fail, it's partly on you. Because you're a part of my team. And if I mess up, yeah, I own it. But you're going to own some of it too because I invited you onto my team. I think we need to take this whole thing that serious, this whole idea of team. Teams will push us forward when we're weak. They will help us explore the possibilities that are greater than we can come up with ourselves. I, I, on a couple of occasions, um, I remember facing challenges. One when I was in college and it was my dad and one here at the church and we needed to build this building and I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to do a building program because the church was going good and we were packing it out and I was doing five services a week and four services a week, I can't remember. And it was going great. And the elders came to me and said, Doyle, we need to build a building. And I'm like, ah. but they were right. There are people who, no, we can do this. Let's look at this and let's trust God and let's do it. You need people who can expand your mind, increase your vision to what needs to happen. Um, Henry Nouwen, a uh, famous author now gone on, um, is that most people, not only, not only do we not have a team, uh, we don't really know how to develop healthy teams. Here's what he said. Most don't know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and instead opt for power and control instead. I think it might be informative for us to stop and look at our relationships and how many are truly loving, caring, transparent kind of relationships? And how many are really more controlling and power-based? If you're a person who everybody you interact with is one down from you in some way, do you know what I mean by that? Like either socioeconomically, um, I don't know, 
popularity, employ, I don't know, is one down from you? Those aren't really necessarily loving relationships. Those may be power relationships in which you control the narrative and nobody gives you any hard feedback. Does that make sense? No? You don't want to give me feedback. You don't want to be in my relationship? Okay, I got it. I got it. So one of the things that, that we need to come to grips with is that um, we need to, to learn to have the kind of relationships that can speak truth in love to us and vice versa. The truth is relationships can be messy. This whole thing is messy. This whole, it, it is a lot easier to try to be a lone ranger. It's a lot easier to just, just when somebody says something, just you know, let it go off your back and don't pay any attention to it. It's easier. But growth is messy. All right, so let me give you, let me give you a picture. When I was a little kid, they used to have these little, these little things that uh, they were rock polishers. Do you ever hear those? You ever see them? And what you do is you take, you know, some rocks and you put a bunch of sand in there, some abrasives in there, and you turn it on and you let it go for like 15 years or something, and, and, it, and it bumps against each other and it, and it knocks off the rock, and you come out with this smooth, shiny rock. You ever see those? Yes? Okay, and, uh, and I think the body of Christ is like that. I think when we become Christians, we don't just go, okay, me and God, we're good, this is different. No, no, no. God goes, okay, fine. And he puts us in the tumbler. He just throws us in with a whole bunch of other Christians, and we're all rough, and he throws enough irritation from life itself in there with us, and it just beats us up, and it knocks the rough edges off. And by the time you get to be old and gray, you're all polished, and, and, and you got a few flaws still probably, but you're a lot smoother than you were when you are 30. Right? But the problem with that whole thing is you're messy. It's just messy. It's dirty, it's gritty, it's messy. My father-in-law passed away a few years ago and I went back to that same church that had the Langer Longers and, uh, and um, the people serving at his funeral and they had food for everybody um, were the same people that were there the first time I was there all those years before because they had been in the tumbler together for the past, past 50 years. They weren't just acquaintances, they were friends. They had been there when they were raising their kids. They had been there when, when one of them went off the rails and one of the other dads went and talked to them. That's a true story. I'm not making that up. I know that that happened more than once. I saw it. They were there when someone got cancer. And now they're there when they're losing their spouses because they've been in this tumbler together and there is a sweetness there is a unity, there is a depth and a maturity in that tumbler that won't be achieved anywhere else. It is there because it's God's plan. And I believe those people became, and they would tell you, they became who they were. Many of them successful, some of them just good folks. They became who they were because they'd been in the tumbler and they handled life differently because of that. See, one of the things that happens when we sign up for the kingdom, we sign up for God's team. He says, come and follow me. And we do. And we sign up for his team. He throws us in, in that tumbler. But while you're in that tumbler, he begins to take off some things about you that aren't right. Not just bad habits, not just character flaws, but even philosophies. You begin to understand what's true and what's real. And when the world starts saying crazy stuff about little children and so on, you go, no, 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 no. In my group, we know that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. We know that. And what happens is we become what the scripture calls a peculiar people. Some of you fit that more than others, but 
What it really means is people who are set apart. We have a, a, a phrase we use around here a lot, and it comes from this, this idea here, and I'll read the passage for you in a second. We live differently, and we don't apologize for that. We live differently. We have different outcomes expected. We have a different source for our energy and for, and for aspirations. We live differently. We are peculiar because we serve a mighty God who's got a better plan. And as we're in this tumbler together, we're on this team together, we're encouraging each other by saying, don't forget the plan. The plan is to be more like Jesus. The plan is to make a difference in your world. The plan is to be selfless and not selfish. Remember, this is how life is supposed to be lived. That's what we do for each other in this tumbler. Is there, uh, let me just read this passage for you. He says this in, in 1 Peter 2.9. I read it from the King James because I like this word. But you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, because we together have this predetermined outcome of being more like Jesus, we can bump up against each other. We can knock the rough edges off. And in the end, we will be more like Jesus. Two different authors, separate books, unrelated. I read stories this week. One of them was um, from a guy named E. Stanley Jones back in the early 1900s. He was uh, an American um, um, speaker and pastor and and writer and and also missionary to India. And um, in the course of his... um, his work, somebody sent him a letter and it was very critical, harshly critical of him. And, and uh, as we all do, he wanted to fire back a letter, but he, he caught himself. And so he, he constructed what he thought was a, a helpful response, kind of refuting what this other person had said. But before he sent it, he did something that he had learned to do, which was ask his team and I don't mean his staff, I don't mean his employees, I mean his team, his spiritual growth team. He said, guys, I've written this back. Um, I, want you to, I want you to take a look at it, see if, I, if it's okay, if it's good. Let me know. I trust you guys. I don't want to. And, and so they took it and they read it. And, and he got one of the copies back. And it, it simply said, insufficiently redemptive. Insufficiently redemptive. That's kind of weird. But if you think about it, it's really powerful. Jesus' whole life was about redemption. It was about redeeming everyone. It wasn't about defending his ego or his reputation. It was, it was about redeeming people, restoring people to a relationship with their creator. And him and East Stanley Jones and his friends had already agreed together in advance what their lives were about. They were to live redemptively. Their whole life wasn't about becoming famous or being rich or being well thought of. It was about helping people find a relationship with God to be redeemed it was redemption. Now, I have to be honest. If I'm going to look at much of my life, if, if I were to invite my team to look at my attitudes, my behavior, I'm afraid there would be a lot of insufficiently redemptive stamped on my life. Just think about parking lots alone. But see, the team had an agreed upon expectation, which was we are here to help people know God Therefore, you're offending me, isn't it? We have a whole society that's out looking to be offended right now. The greatest thing you can do in our society is be offended enough to be a victim. That's not going to grow you. That's not going to get you more like Jesus. Jesus had all kinds of reasons to be offended. And he indeed was a victim on the cross. 
But his point wasn't to be a victim, and his point wasn't to gain attention. His point was to point people to God, to the Creator, for redemption, insufficiently redemptive. I'm afraid many of us live our lives that way. We need a team who reminds it. Do you have anybody in your life who would say that to you? I mean, now that you know what it means, is there anybody who would say that to you? I'm afraid there are people in my life that, that would say that to me. And should and would. I read, and so in the same week, I read another illustration of Gordon MacDonald, different book, different illustration. He said someone confronted him and said, you've got this character flaw and, 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 and you need to deal with it. And he went away very upset because that particular character flaw, it had to do with attitude, was very prevalent in his extended family. And he was aware of it and he really worked and asked God to help him not carry on that, that sin of that kind of attitude. And so he came back and he was very disturbed, he's very upset, so he calls up three of his team, not his employees, his spiritual life growth team. He says, this is what has been said to me. I don't want you to answer me right now. You know, we can always get friends to tell us we're okay and there are mean people out there, but what you need are people to tell you the truth. And he knew these guys were telling the truth. And he said, I want you to do this. I want you to pray over it for the next two weeks. I want you to think about it. I, you guys are free to meet behind my back and talk about me. I want you to come tell me if this is true, because if it is, I want to take some kind of action. I need to address this. Friends, come back. They say, Gordon, we, we've prayed over this. We've thought about it. You know we'll tell you the truth. And we've met together. And we have to be honest, we do not see this in you. We don't see this character flaw in you. We don't think it's true. We're not sure what they were seeing, what they were talking about, but we don't see this. And so as your spiritual growth team, we're going to say to you, don't spend another minute thinking about this. This is just a waste of time, a waste of energy. And whatever their deal is, they're going to have to deal with it. But we know you. We love you. We will tell you the truth. This is not true. Be free. Go forward and do what God wants you to do. You see, most of us are too afraid to kind of make ourselves transparent enough to have that kind of a team. And even when we get to that point, finding the kind of people who are that trustworthy is difficult, which tells me you better get on it. You better, you better get started now. Because if, if you follow what I'm saying, that God wants you to have a team, and to get where you need to go, where God wants you to go, you want to go, you need a team. And if you're willing to step into that thing, then let's do it. Let's get a team. You get a team. I'll get a team. Let's be who God wants us to be. So we have a thing around here called Rooted. It's not the only team. It's not the only way to have a team. But we recognize that so much of the growth that God wants in our life comes through a team that we offer Rooted. Rooted is just a way to sit for 10 weeks with some other folks. And it's not like spill your guts kind of thing, unless you want it to be. Um, it's just a simple little how to grow spiritually. But you might make some lifelong friends. Here's my guarantee. If you don't like it, don't go back. It's okay. If you don't have to, nobody's going to be upset. But if you have the courage to show up in that room, I think God will meet you there. And you will sense not only his presence, but his care for you through those people. I, I really believe that. And so today, I don't know what else to say to you other than just to plead with you. Make sure you have a godly team. A team who's helping you, not a team who's pulling you back or pulling you down, but a team who's helping you move forward and helping you look up. We all need that kind of team. Find a way to get that team. Sign up for Rudy. You can do it on the patio. You can do it online. Sign up for Rudy. Try it. See what happens. Or develop your own team. But they need to be godly people. So this week was a big trade deadline in the NBA. NBA stands for National Basketball Association. 
<laughs> and uh, some people traded players. Last thing I'm going to say to you, some of you need to trade some players on your team. You got some people pulling you back, holding you down. You need to trade some players. Some of you need to get on a team. Some of you have been trying to Lone Ranger this thing. And uh, it may be working right now, but it won't work long term. And some of you need to be on a team, not for you, for whoever else is on the team. Maybe you're supposed to be on the team because there's somebody else who needs you, your experience, your past, your stuff that you've worked through to, to help lead them through the, the stuff they're in right now. Teams, it matters. It's the answer. Jesus and Jesus' people, and together, we're going to do what God called us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for all kinds of things. Thank you for unconditional love. Thank you for coming and dying on a cross so we could be a part of your team. Thank you that you have called us to live in unity and community with each other and that being the only way to really move forward in Christ's likeness. And so, Lord God, I thank you for the people who have been on my team so many years. Some have been there for a really long time. Some of them are pretty new players, but I thank you for them. And I pray that you help me be a better teammate for those whose team I'm on. Lord, I pray that you help me be more sensitive, more aware, less self-absorbed, and more concerned with other people and how their life is going. And Lord God, as we together choose to be on your team and each other's team, I pray that you will use us in a society that is broken, that is hurting. Lord God, that needs the hope that you provide. I ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this week. By the way, stop. Think about your team. Be intentional. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.